The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. Thanks for joining us this week. I have a great guest. Of course, as you know, I always have a great guest every week. Uh, It it, uh, never ceases to amaze me how many fabulous people we have in the museum community, and I am always thrilled to be able to share their stories and their ideas with you. So today I have Rana Tolgan Ostheimer. And she is a new friend. Uh, she's the director of adult school and community programs at the Sterling, Sterling and Francine Clark Art Institute. I said Clark Art Institute several times in preparing for this introduction. Uh, <laughs> it is in Williamstown, Massachusetts. And Rana, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, Carol, I'm really delighted to talk with you and talk about our programs and about museum education and museum life um, in general. So thank you so much for asking me. Well, I knew I knew that this would be a great conversation because you and I hit it off when we did a sort of a, a get acquainted phone conversation during the middle of the summer. So I'm glad we have a chance to talk now. Obviously, we'll be talking a lot about uh, museum education and the role of museums in society. But before we get into sort of the the meat, uh, Rana, would you just uh, share your career path and uh, with us, and particularly those key experiences that have shaped your uh, thinking about the role of museums? Um, I'm happy to. I absolutely will. And, you know, it's an interesting question. It's not just giving a little bio of myself, but um, people who are around my age in the field, and um, let's just say I was born in the 60s, (laughs) Um, most of us did not get to our roles in museum education or leading departments of museum education because we went to a program where we were trained in museum education. Um, You know, back in the 80s, there just were not programs like this. There are certainly not too many. So most people who, um, again, are about my age and lead museum programs have come to it from very varied experience. I personally came 
um, to my role here from education. And, um, you know, again, I was educated during a time um, at a liberal arts college, Hobart and William Smith College, um, for my undergraduate, when the idea of a liberal arts education was don't worry too much about what you'll do when you grow up and need to make a living in the world, but just be here, educate your mind, explore, you know, go to corners where you might not have gone if you didn't have this opportunity for this kind of an education. And while I can tell you I loved it during my four years because um, I, I like thinking, I like exploring ideas, when I graduated from college, I had no idea what I was actually going to do in the world um, other than make it a better place. So um, it's funny. I have a really zigzaggy path, I guess, that, that brought me to where I am now. Um, and when I first graduated from college, I just needed to make money. So my, I actually worked in a bakery. And I loved it, but of course... Um, um, it, my parents weren't thrilled that with my college education, I worked in a bakery and put a lot of pressure on me to do something real. So I then got a job in a stock brokerage and I was terrible at it because it felt unimportant to me. I was moving piles of money from here to there. Um, it was the 80s, so I was treated quite well. And even though I wasn't very good at what I did, nobody seemed to care that much. Um, <laughs> But one day, the stockbroker that I worked for brought me into his office, and he said, you know, clearly your heart is not in the finance world. For goodness sakes, what do you want to do? And he encouraged me to go back to graduate school. At that time, um, I went into a program at University of Massachusetts, um, which was called Humanistic Psychological Education. And it was a program that helped, um, that trained people to teach about psychological processes, things like self-esteem workshops or diversity appreciation or human development, um, which, of course, was, um, you know, kind of a big activity, um, you know, get to know yourself after the 60s, 70s, and in the 80s, and there were some, some real programs like that. So um, I taught for a while in, um, at a bunch of different grade levels, mostly in elementary classes, and then eventually decided to go back and um, get my Ph.D. and then teach in a it, actually program of teacher education we, because it seemed to me that there was so much that we could do to raise kids um, to be all that they could be, and instead, schools were teaching them how to follow rules. Um, it, to me, it, uh, to conform, to learn. Um, to me, it seen many classrooms behaved in ways that cut down kids' potential instead of expanded kids' potential. So for a while, I uh, worked in teacher education, which I really enjoyed. Um, but when I had my own family, the hours became a little untenable. Many of my classes were in the evening because many teachers who were going back to school to get their master's degrees taught during the day. And it seemed that when uh, I was never home with my kids or our whole family 
was never home at the same time. So it didn't feel, it started not feeling very good. And I happened to live in the town where the Clark is, and the Clark is a marvelous museum. But it is a museum that our visitorship, and it it continues to be, but we are much, much, much better now, is um, very often tourists or very often older uh, people or, um, you know, a certain type of person, if you will, although I don't like to talk in those terms. And it seemed to me that the Clark was a wonderful community resource and engaging with art is a great thing, healthy, positive activity for a family to do together. So I wrote to our then director, who was Michael Comforti, who was brand new here from Minnesota. And he, in fact, had wanted to start a whole initiative of family and community programs because in Minnesota, um, Target supports, or at least at the time, supported a marvelous program of um, community events. And he very much wanted to bring that here. So um, it was in many ways, a lucky coincidence. And I started here really in the position of coordinator of community and family programs where it was my job to organize family days and festivals and fun, fun kinds of things to make the museum feel more accessible to people who might not typically be comfortable coming to a museum. So I liked my job. I felt good, but... I felt a little bit disappointed that I had gone from being a teacher educator where we could really make a difference in kids' lives and how they grew up and how they thought about themselves and the world to being a party planner. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with being a party planner, but again, remember my original goal of wanting to make the world a better place, and I suppose parties do. But um, I worked for, at that time, the head of education was... Um, a really brilliant educator named Michael Casson. Um, came, he was British, and he sincerely believed that engaging with art wasn't, a, wasn't learning about art in some esoteric way, but instead engaging with art was engaging with humanity. If you think about art as a reflection or expression of human experience or imagination then when you engage with art, it just brings you into this arena of engaging with human dynamics. And in that way, I started to understand my job as much bigger than a party planner and, in fact, um, saw my job as opening a door to a very important and healthy and, in some ways, therapeutic activity um, for people and, in that way, could, could really... Uh, again, meet my goal of trying to make the world a better place. That's a great story, Ronan. Uh, you know, I there are so many people uh, that I have on the show that are of our generation in the museum world, and we all came at it from very diverse and different backgrounds. I personally think that that's one of our strengths. And I, I agree. When, 
And one reason I like to continue to ask this story of all of my guests, I mean, one, I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the whole show, but I (laughs) also want to remind um, our colleagues who are just beginning um, in the profession or perhaps are just beginning college that there... there is no one single way uh, to to get where we need to go. And the zigs and the zags, as you call them, those are really the things that uh, build up our reserves, I think, of, uh, of, of experience and information. Uh, and I also think that it's great that you uh, talk about the balancing act of, um, you know, being a... a having a family and having a, a career. And again, that isn't something, that balancing act isn't something that just happened 10 years ago. We've been trying to figure out that balance, uh, both men and women, for a number of years. So I really appreciate you uh, you sharing that background. And it does sound as if you have had the opportunity to really sort of create your own job. I, I think I, I I think it's true in many ways. I would say that's maybe a little bit strong language in terms of creating my own job, but really sharing it. Uh, uh, I don't mean sharing it, shaping it and building it and kind of proving myself. I um, just uh, I want to go quickly back to something that you said, and then I'll bounce back here. But um, I couldn't agree with you more about... Again, people, I, I guess you and I are somewhat age mates, but um, people who around our age, I think the fact that we came from very diverse backgrounds and training is, is a huge strength. And I actually worry a little bit about the field as we talk about things like licensing for museum educators or stand, standards or... Um, you know, there's all kinds of master's degree programs and maybe even PhDs in museum education or um, managing arts management types of programs. And although I, I think there's a lot of good things that come out of that initiative and um, it, it worries me a little. I think the, there is a tremendous strength um, from being somewhat of an outsider, because again, my role in particular, um, the Clark, the reason why we're called an institute rather than a museum, is we are a museum, but we also are a research institution. We have a graduate program. We have one of the best uh, art libraries in uh, the nation, and we have a fellowship program for professionals in the field from all over the world. You know, I agree with you completely that there is a big difference in my mind between best practices and uh, certification. Uh, I think that yes. we all want things to, uh, you know, we we don't want to go back uh, to having uh, nice volunteer ladies talk at a bunch of school kids about uh, some painting or artist uh, that has no relevance to them. We want them. We want kids to be interactive and learning on their own. But it's the diversity of background that I think really. Uh, really strengthens it and I'm 
so interested in your your perceptions of how education in the museum field, particularly in art museums, has changed because you've really been in on the ground floor and seeing the and and have seen those major transitions. But before I ask you to comment on that and share with us some of the work that you're doing at the Clark, we're going to go ahead and take our first break just a little early so I don't interrupt your train of thought. And when we come <laughs> back, more with uh, Rana Tolgan Ostimer. And I'll get that right next time, I'm sure. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and today I'm talking with Rana Tolgan Ostheimer of the uh, Sterling and Francine Clark Art Institute in Williamstown, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, Rana is director of adult school and community programs there. And we're talking a lot about uh, art education and its uh, its opportunities and its strengths. And and Rana, one of the things that you were talking about uh, before we went to break, you were you were sharing with us your uh, wonderful experiences with a a previous boss who really sort of opened your eyes to what art can do and I noticed in some of the materials that you sent me in preparation for this interview you talked about that there's a difference between teaching about art and teaching with art and I just wanted you to give you an opportunity to sort of reinforce for us what that means to you. I will be happy to because we talk a lot about that in our department in terms of what our mission is and what we do. Um, 
it actually connects to what I had forgotten right before we took a break. But um, as an, we're an institute because we have a number of different branches of education. Our branch of education in particular is for the general public. So for me, being a non-art historian makes me much more like our visitors than it would if my training were in art history. And so I'm very comfortable. When I very first came to the museum, I actually felt a little inadequate, although I have some knowledge in art and actually now quite a bit of knowledge in art um, and certainly about our own collection. Fifteen years ago, um, I didn't. I had taken a few courses in college, but uh, again, my graduate work was in psychological education. And so I was worried about, I don't mean being a fraud, but not quite really knowing what the heck I was doing. With um, this former boss that I had mentioned, Michael Kasson, um, he helped me realize that, in fact, what I brought was a real gift to the museum. Because, as you can imagine, most of our staff is very schooled in art history. And um, so I could more so understand the museum experience as a typical visitor did. And um, historically, museums were not for the public. In fact, um, very originally, um, and now I'm talking like 500 years ago, um, Collections tended to be owned, of course, by uh, royal families or aristocrats, and the idea was not to educate the general populace on these really interesting and about these really interesting and wonderful things, but instead it was to keep these objects very cloistered and to have knowledge and access to these objects um, to be a very elite and special. Um, kind of thing. And so there became a real, um, let's see, eliteness about knowing about art, about having a certain knowledge, um, that art history in some ways I think can fairly be thought of as um, esoteric for a certain type of person. You know, you're, most people aren't going to earn their living based on knowledge of art. And um, what, what many people say here is, yeah, learning about art was, was so that people would have something to say and be impressive at cocktail parties. Of course, <laughs> I believe there's much more to get from learning about art because, again, if you take that definition of art that I shared that we use as our working definition, that art is a reflection or expression of human experience or imagination, then um, it really helps you think about human dynamics. It helps connect you to other places, other times. Um, it, it puts you in touch with things that may be universal to humanity, things that may be idiosyncratic to place and time. Um, and there are... If R, again, is about human experience, then everybody can connect at some level with whatever kind of human experience is being, um, is being presented from a particular art object. So instead of teaching about, in other words, this object was made in this state by this artist and it is significant because, and you should notice X, Y, and Z about it, that's 
the kind of talk or knowledge that I would say is teaching about art and it's cocktail um, party knowledge. But when you teach with art, you might want to stop and with a group, you might open instead say, you know, you've come um, to the museum today to talk about... um, American history. You know, let's look at a Remington and or two Remingtons that are together. Both depict Native Americans in in different situations. What is the artist trying to to, to uh, express to us here? And and then you draw from your visitor what it is that they connect to, what they see. You know, ninety percent of the time, the visitors are connecting to the intention of the artist or the important aspects of a work of art anyhow. And then when you can validate what they've said by, by sharing some of the knowledge about a painting, because it's been significant to a viewer's experience, it really suddenly makes them feel like, oh, I can do this. Instead of talking at them, you're suddenly helping to um, fill in some of the conversation they're already having. You so, know, I think um, that is so, I, I just want to stop you for, for one minute, and I hope I haven't ruined your train of thought, but I, no. I, I just want to sort of underscore something so important, and whether it's art or history or science, it is the job, I feel, of the museum uh, to validate, I love that word, uh, validate uh, an individual's own experience. I think so often uh, one of the reasons that museums still continue to be felt as elitist uh, in some communities is that uh, inadvertently or sometimes um, uh, the way the programs go, we we don't give, we don't give, I, I guess, Another way of saying it is we don't give uh, visitors voice. And what, I, what you've yes. been talking about is, is so perfect about creating a conversation. And I think now I finally understand what you're talking about when you say that you're teaching with art. Uh, I don't think I'll ever really look at uh, uh, art education in the same way again. So, so thank you very, very much uh, for doing that. <laughs> I'm wondering... Could you maybe flesh this out, and I think this is where you were going uh, a little bit more about giving us an, uh, an one or two examples of some of the programs that have grown out of this philosophy? I, I'm, of course, happy to. I, I can tell you something we're working on and then something that might be a little more risky that we're thinking about, and I hope we're brave enough to actually try um, one of the things, programs that we're really proud about, uh, proud of, and we are actually only going into our third program year of it, is a program that we call Curating a Culture of Respect. And the whole program, it, it's a middle school focused program, and it's a grade wide program. Typically, when we get school vo- uh, groups who visit, teachers will call and come in to support an area of the curriculum, whether it is American history, whether it is landscape, European history, um, class culture, you know, versus American culture. There's all kinds of things that we can do based on our collection to support different um, 
teaching uh, initiatives. But with curating a culture of respect, we have reached out to schools and said, you know, we'd like to support your work. And um, we know that, you know, teachers are expected to do everything um, to basically raise our nation's children, but then they're blamed for all the problems of society and youth problems, so it's not quite fair. And we believe here at the Clark that maybe we're at a point in society where more social institutions than schools need to see their responsibility as educating and helping to raise our nation's children. And, you know, in the face of all kinds of bullying, and many states have mandates to do bullying, prevention programs, and then kids are faced with terrorism and violence, and in our country and in others now, too, random violence. And um, we realized if, in fact, engaging with our is an arena and a venue to allow you to have real conversations about real human subjects, but in an impersonal way that, you, you know, it doesn't, nobody has to be on the hot spot um, if we're talking about rage or love. You know, we can talk about those things in the abstract. We don't have to talk about our personal experiences, although one might choose to. Um, we realized that engaging with our was a really great way to open up the conversation for kids about talking about violence and what it's like growing up in a world where violence is such a, um, a, a truth for them, um, that they're aware of violence in a way. Certainly, I don't think I was growing up in the same way. And um, in working with teachers, some of the ways that we have conversations around our um, one of the marvelous things about art is it allows for a diversity of opinions, and those opinions don't need to be in competition. Instead, in fact, they can be synergistic. So when we look at art and somebody else has a different opinion of what they're seeing or a different interpretation, it just enlarges our sense of a work of art. It doesn't compete with our own interpretation. And so in, in a way, it's a, we try to model how engaging with art can be a paradigm for how people operate in the world. So we look at different objects or works of art that, from many different perspectives. Um, we have a painting that, um, here at the Clark that um, some people think is sort of an old man hitting on a young woman, and we talk all about um, some of the dynamics and how it makes them feel and what they see in the evidence in the painting for their opinions. And then we talk about, well, in fact, this might have been a painting that illustrated a Bible story, and it's a very nice Bible story. And then we share some of the um, story, and suddenly children see it totally different. Um, we talk about violence, and kids will say, oh, now I'm thinking about a different object, work of art. I'm talking about a sculpture, um, The Abduction of Polyxena. And kids see violence. Then when you realize, well, in fact, this may be revenge, um, there is violence um, from the purpose of revenge because you want to protect your family's honor the same as random violence. And, and, and suddenly we're having very interesting and 
deep and complex um, conversations around human dynamics, around violence, around human nature, around perspective. And with this program, teachers then bring this affective way of teaching and integrate it into their curriculum. And we actually stay connected with the classroom for the full year, and we help support them to then as a group, they later make art that expresses something. They, they, they choose what to express, but a way that they decide a, a message that they want to give to the world to show the power of art to change hearts and minds. So that's what I mean. We don't necessarily, when, when a kid leaves this program, we don't actually care if they remember an artist's name. We don't actually care if they remember which artist made which object. We don't care. Um, I, I won't say we don't care. Our focus isn't if they know the difference between an academic painting and an impressionist painting. It's very much, folk, uh, again, connecting to the issues that are relevant in their own life and giving them a wider awareness um, of these issues and, and a bigger arena for understanding and connecting so that they have some some choices. Does that make sense? Yes, you know, th- that makes so much sense. And I like the way that you're, you're describing it. Uh, and, I mean, would it, does it sound too simplistic to say that by providing uh, you know, some validation, some, uh, some, some openness uh, to have everybody looking at the art instead of maybe even each other uh, to begin some of these more challenging uh, emotional conversations, that you're providing a safe place? To have oh, these I don't think it's too simple at all. In fact, one of the schools that we work with, ref- that's one of their whole initiatives, is thinking about what community spaces and places can we consider libraries, museums, and that's part of their whole bridge in participating in curating a culture of respect. Each school has a slightly different reason or bent um, in connection to this program. But I think it's absolutely true. And in fact, we want the museum to feel like a place to sort of return back to, oh, these are the things that are important. Oh, this is a place of reverie. Oh, this is a place for contemplation. This is a place for lively debate and discussion. It's it's not about what you have, what you do, but it's about the things that connect us, you know, the, if you will, the human spirit um, that we all share and engaging with art or um, being in a place. That's why we, we are careful. You know, so many museums want to keep up with the digital age and have all kinds of exciting and interesting um, digital interpretive devices or digital experiences in the galleries. And, well, I think some of that is wonderful because it teaches and gives access to things, um, you know, that um, to better understanding, perhaps, of a, of a work of art. What worries me is one thing that's wonderful about an art museum is it's now unlike most places in society. Um, it, it's a place where, again, you can just connect with looking, with thinking, with talking, with experience, 
There's, um, and so to me, I feel like art museums now have become institutions that should be hubs or arenas for interesting, exciting conversation, like, like a place where people can talk about violence and what each of us can do to make the world a less violent place. That's that's um, second, that's great. I, I'm going to have to interrupt you. Um, I I hate to do this, but I have to interrupt. We have to take a second break. But hold that thought because when okay. we come back, uh, we'll have an opportunity to share that more um, with my guest today. And I hope you're enjoying the show. You know, uh, I. I'm always thrilled when people uh, contact me, uh, either through email or on Twitter at at MuseWrite. Let me know what you think about the show, and let me know what topics you feel that we should really be talking about in the museum community. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and as you know, I've been talking with Rana Tolgan Ostheimer of the Clark Museum in Massachusetts, and we've been talking a lot about education, uh, particularly art education, and sort of looking at it in a much broader sphere. And while we were on break, Rana was telling me sort of tentatively, uh, and this is just an idea that they're having, but I think it's such a fabulous idea. that I really have encouraged her to share it with us, uh, and she and I can talk a little bit a bit about it because you know edgy can be risky, but edgy can also be very courageous in addressing some of the most important issues of our time. So, with that, Rana, would you please share this uh, this potential project at the Clark? 
Okay, I sure will. Well, um, again, it comes under the heading of teaching with our collection as opposed to about our collection. And one of the things that we already do is um, we try to have a conversation about race around um, based on engaging with art, the construct of race, and with kids, what it's meant in the past. And so this summer we um, always have a number of college interns. We The Clark Art Institute is in the same town as Williams College and a number of other um, colleges as well. But um, we have a relationship with Williams, and we often work with uh, Williams students over the summer. So um, this summer I um, met with them and said to them, you know, what do you think could be interesting? What are some real issues that kids your age deal with or are in the news or, um, you know, what, what that we could address by engaging with art? And one of the young women that we work with is um, in a group at Williams that deals with sexual violence on campus. And, of course, I think, you know, most people are aware that... Um, whether it's a new issue or whether we're just aware of the issue, I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the, there's a real problem with sexual violence and um, even being called rape culture on college campuses when kids have too much to drink or, or whatever. And then um, absolutely, you know, mistreat each other. So we got talking, and we and April is National Sexual Violence Prevention Month. And they, this summer they happened to all the young women, and they thought, you know, we could do something really fantastic and interesting and exciting. So many of our pictures, um, objects, um, sculpture as well, are about relationships, are about... Um, Romance are um, even about, as I mentioned um, in the painting before, you know, an older man, what looks like propositioning a younger woman, you know, contain all kinds of issues from um, in relationships. And, and it really came from them. What if we put together a talk in which we're now calling Romance and Rape Culture that we offer in April to col- uh, high school seniors who are college-bound um, or even if they're not, it's a significant topic for them, and some of our local colleges. So again, it's at this point, we have thought a lot about it. We know which works of art we use. We know how we would market it. We are just, (laughs) we haven't made a total decision to do it yet because, um, well, I don't know. You tell me. Does it sound... Radical? Does it sound edgy? I mean, it sure isn't what you might expect from a from a very nice art museum like the Clark Art Institute. What do you think? Well, well thanks for asking me a question. Um, you know, I, I I am reminded both of the you know from the ex, uh, the experience that you just described, and actually several weeks ago I had uh, Peter Armstrong on the show. Uh, Peter is uh, currently um, uh, working at, in a museum here in Virginia, but prior to that he was uh, in at the in uh, London at the Royal um, Armaments Museum or Royal Armory Museum. Uh, sorry, Peter, I can't remember. But the point was that the collection is full of 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 implements of killing 
And mm-hmm. uh, and he created a very interesting uh, program about knife violence, which ha- was uh, a, a critically important issue and provided opportunities for uh, parents and children to talk about uh, these tough subjects. Uh, whether it was, you know, do you carry a knife? Do you, are you bullied? Uh, do you, you know, do you see a lot of knives? Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, there are ugly things in this world. Uh, we, you know, terrorism, random acts of violence. Uh, it's, uh, you know, kindergartners who have to be go through drills of what will happen if, you know, a bad person uh, with a gun uh, mm-hmm. comes into their school. It's, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So in that frame, I think doing something that, you know, look, looks at the issues of, um, young people's relationships uh, to each other um, you know not uh, it's not even it's not even sex it's not even uh, a man woman thing it is how do you treat other people and what's okay right. and what's not okay and uh, when will we create a society when it's not okay to say boys will be boys uh, or a young uh, college student uh, gets off with a slap on the wrist because he took advantage of a young woman um, at, because, you know, boys will be boys and he got drunk once and it, his life shouldn't be ruined. Well, neither should hers. And right. I, so I, I feel, I, I personally, as you can tell, feel strongly about this particular issue. But, you know, I sort of think, it's a logical extension of the kinds of programming that that you have been developing at the Clark, and I would hope that you would work. Uh, you're you're working with uh, community advisors. It sounds as if it uh, you might want to expand that group of it, of advisors and make sure that you know you pilot this well and have a good feedback loop. But, you know, so I, I guess my question back to you is, do you have any concerns about what your board or community might say? I mean, are, are you know, some museums just don't have a culture of risk. They don't have a culture of what? I'm sorry. Of, of risk. You know, if, if, if ah, it's yes, yes, at all, yes. you know, we, we're just not yeah, going to deal no, with that. I, um, um, and it sounds as if you were in a different environment. I I think I do have that luxury. I think um I think you're right. I mean the Clark um is known for we always try to tell a new story. We always try to be excellent at everything we do. I I, I hope most people do or most institutions do. But we do try I think um in our institutional self image to be on the cutting image of what art may be or what a museum may be, what it could be, what we could become. So I guess, um, yeah, you're encouraging me, but clearly I think you're absolutely right, a focus group advisory kind of discussion and then just being real clear and actually asking our administration, making sure everyone's comfortable before I go ahead would probably be why stuff. So I actually appreciate talking this out, um, I guess very publicly. But um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think... I think we all we've um, when I've worked in when I worked at the museum when I was a museum administrator and now as I work with um, uh, museums uh, throughout the country throughout the world actually I'm you know these the 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 core question is what's our role and what's our responsibility yeah. and how yeah. can we b- use our collection if we are a collecting institution that def- you know, partly defines who we are but how can we use that collection uh, for the public good without feeling restricted by it does that make sense I, you know if absolutely you, it, absolutely it makes sense and it's funny because I think most people when you think of a museum what does a museum do well it um, takes care of um, uh, material history, you know, human history, human material. And in fact, I think what, of course that's true, but perhaps equally or maybe even more important is it takes care of that um, culture, but in fact, we're also about the future. What do we learn from it? What can we learn? How do we um, approach these objects in ways that are relevant and again not esoteric and elite. Exactly. I I still love um, an analogy that I often use. Uh, I have done a lot of work with the National Park Service, a wonderful organization, and they have visitor centers. They don't, you know, they may have collections, but they they have visitor centers, and the purpose of a visitor center is to orient. The, mm-hmm. the, the visitor to give them skills, to give them some tips so that they can go out into the environment, whether it's a historic property or whether it's a natural wonder, and learn on their own. And I think that that is an absolutely wonderful analogy for what a museum can be to the public. It can be that visitor center to the world and to provide opportunities for skill building and questioning and wrestling with difficult issues that inevitably they're going to face out there in the real world. I, I love that, thinking about a museum as a visitor center to, for or to humanity. Um, a place for skill building and wrestling with difficult issues. And I, I just, I love that idea or way to think about a museum. Well, and, and getting back to your, your specific topic of, uh, you know, we do live in a, a society that sends a lot of mixed messages, sends a lot of mixed messages to young women and to young men uh, about, you know, it's a, you're supposed to be romantic, but, you know, not too romantic. It's supposed to be like the movies, but not really like the movies. And, and right. certainly all of these human emotions, romance, fear, uh, understanding, relationships, all of those are played out in your art uh, in, in different ways. Ab- absolutely. Again, going back to that, our working definition of art, which of course there are so many definitions and no definition is perfect, so we, we often add to our definition or shift it a little when we realize a part that doesn't work, but if, if art is a respect 
expression or reflection of human experience and imagination, then my goodness, that's exactly what an art museum is. It's an arena to explore humanity. Um, We actually recently added a clause to our definition, which is it's a human-made object because we had one of our uh, curators of a special exhibition that we have here called Sense of Place um, had a debate with me and feels that an object from nature, um, out in nature, is also art. Well, I think it can provide an aesthetic experience. We really thought about that, and because of our debate, (laughs) we have added a a human-made object in terms of how we define art, in ter- uh, again, it's our working definition with, um, that we always go back to because that's what we do at the museum. You know, we're not a community center. We're not just doing fun things or filling people's leisure time, but we, we, we really want time at the museum to um, feel meaningful, for it to be meaningful, for it to make people live, um, be more aware, and... Um, be able to make more conscious choices about more things because they've been able to explore all kinds of ideas and thoughts and share them and hear different perspectives um, because of the activity of engaging with art. I think, you know, that is a great definition, and I'm going to have to, uh, we're running down to the end of the show, so I don't want to open up a new new uh, topic, but I think that your uh, distinction between human-made art and aesthetic experiences that can be found in a variety of environments, you know, human-made and nature-made, is something I'm going to take away as I think more about the uh, STEAM movement, the, you know, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, plus art. Uh, It's an area that I've been very involved in, uh, but... I, I'm going to give that a different different look. I don't, you know, stay tuned. You, I'll bring you back <laughs> on the show. We'll spend another hour talking about that. But now I'm going to have to close the program. Rana, it has been so much fun talking with you. <laughs> For me too. Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate this opportunity. As you can see, I'm passionate. We, I really believe in what we do here. Wonderful, wonderful, and I and I do too. And I can't wait to get up uh, to visit the Clark. Another one on my list. So uh, again, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you all for listening. Uh, please uh, drop a line. Let me know what you thought about the show. And uh, I always love it when you give me new guests, uh, guest ideas to talk to. And so uh, thank you again. Until next week, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 